Hey, how you doing? Brian Kane here with the Golf Mental Performance Mastery Podcast with Kane and Carp, formerly known as the Breakfast Balls Podcast. We've updated it to more accurately reflect what it is we talk about on this podcast. Trake Carp Carpenter, the head coach of the Denver Pioneers. We talk about swing management, course management, and most importantly, self-management, where we're helping you try to become that golf one-shot warrior. Trake, how we doing, man? Good to see you. You too. Good to be here in Payson with you. Yeah, man. I'm glad you're here and excited to talk about today on Episode 8, Winning Conference, is you in your first year as a head coach at, at uh, Denver University, winning the Summit League and then going into the NCAA Regional. And as a 13 seed, you guys were the closest in the history of NCAA golf to being a 13 seed to make it to the national championship. So we got a lot to unpack here today. You, again, as Conference Coach of the Year, congratulations. Man, let's get started with just kind of going into conference. So your team is going into the Summit League Conference Tournament. Tell us about where it was and kind of maybe some of your main preparation elements with your squad going into that. Yeah, so the host uh, golf course out in Kansas uh, was the same course in 2019, and a lot of the guys had been there before. So it was a place that we had been to. Um, a lot of the places we played this spring, it was kind of the first time that we'd been there. So we kind of had a routine of um, you know, how we approach the golf course, what are we doing in practice round, all that kind of stuff. So my game plan for this was to just go ahead and do that again. You know, like for me, it was my first time, but I still felt like it was good to just approach that the same way we approached every tournament all spring long, right? So when we got there, we went through the yardage book the same. We went through, you know, tee shots the same, the green complexes, you know, where to miss it, where to hit it, you know, all that kind of stuff was just the stuff that we did throughout the spring. And I think the the overall game plan that week was like, this is just another tournament. We're going to prepare the same. We're going to go out there and hit committed shots the same. Like our goals are all the same. It just, you know, this one happens to be for conference and the other ones weren't, you know, but that's not something we can control. So really just try to make it as similar to any other tournament as we could as much as possible. You know, one of the, obviously the favorite books I've ever read is Heads Up Baseball by Dr. Ken Revisa. The book cha- changed the course of my life. I have the author's face tattooed on my heart. And one of the things he says in the book, I remember reading it my junior year of college back in 2000. And Don Sutton was a pitcher for the Angels. And his quote was, you know, how do you get, it was quest- Ken's question was, how do you get ready to pitch in game seven of the World Series? He says, the same way I get ready to throw a bullpen in spring training. The process is the process. How you do anything is how you do everything. So it, it sounds like you kept the same preparation process going into a conference tournament as you did going into any tournament during the season. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, I think, and a lot of people asked, you know, after, you know, going into conference, hey, what's your game plan? After we win conference, going into regionals, what's your game plan? You know, as if like the external factors of what it is, is going to change how we do things. And that's just not. I think some teams try to do the right things last minute. You know, conference comes around and they're like, okay, let's, let's buckle down. Let's just take it one shot at a time. And like, that's the right way to do it. But if you haven't been doing it all year long, you've got no chance of just like automatically flipping that switch. And so I think the thing that we did all year was we talked about like tomorrow's the biggest day in the history of Denver men's golf because it's tomorrow. And then when that day actually came, we just treated it like any other day, right? So I think that's our advantage is doing it early and often versus trying to do it when it matters most because it's too late to flip the switch at that point. 
Yeah, I think it's how you do anything, it's how you do everything, right? And the way you prepare for the first tournament in the fall, that preparation process should be the same way that you guys prepared for a conference. You know, you mentioned, Trake, going through the yardage book, looking and reading the kind of the greens. Would you walk us through for the the golf coaches that are listening to, to this podcast, would you walk us through what that kind of looks like if they were with you and your team at the conference tournament, kind of take us through from the time you land there sort of that routine and that process from the time you land until you guys are jumping in the lake because you won conference to celebrate? Yeah, I think the first thing I normally do is even before we leave, I'll go through Google Maps, and I usually have the yardage book at that point. We get them pretty early. Um, And I'll kind of go through hole by hole and look at Google Maps and look at the yardage book and measure on Google Maps kind of what the width is of the landing areas in various spots on the golf course and then kind of note those yardages in my yardage book as well as take a screenshot um, of each hole so the guys can see an aerial view plus the yardage book and they see all that before we even get there. So when you stand on a tee and you're looking out there, you have kind of a bird's eye view of what it looks like if it's the first time you've seen that golf course. So, you know, you can't, you can figure a lot out in a yardage book or Google Maps. It's hard to tell you know, topography changes or which way stuff really slopes or elevation, stuff like that. Um, you know, maybe how thick, if, if you're looking at trees overhead, you know, what's the underbrush like? Is it fine under there? You know, all that kind of stuff you can't quite tell. But if you put enough of those pieces together ahead of time, once you stand on the tee and you're looking out there and you have the Google map view and you have the yardage book, you can come up with a game plan or confirm what you think your game plan is pretty quick in a practice round. So, you know, I like to do all that stuff as much as possible before we get there and see it so that we kind of know what all the possible options are rather than like trying to figure out while we're there in the practice round because you've only got one round. So, you know, I start with before we leave trying to do as much as I can. And then when we go through the practice round, I pretty much focus on you know, confirming what's the proper landing area, right? I'm not worried about, okay, is this, is this hole a driver? Is this hole a two iron? Is this, like, I'm not worried about what club it is off the tee. I'm worried about what club gets to that landing spot in XYZ condition. When you're talking about landing spot, what do you mean? So, you know, in the fairway, if there's a bunker at, you know, 275 and we're trying to lay short of that, we're not calling that a three wood hole. We're trying to hit it, say it's 260, like 260 is our target number. And so, you know, when we talk about preparation after the round, we get done with the practice round and sit down and go through the book, like 260 is our target there. So I say, hey, if the wind's, you know, 12 to 15 out of the West and it's into, what are you hitting there? Driver. If it's 15 to 20 downwind out of the East, what are you hitting there? probably two iron, you know, like they run through those situations versus saying, oh, this is a driver hole. This is an iron hole. You know, we're trying to find the spot that we want to hit it off the tee. And then what are all, you know, the weather, the conditions, you know, is it, is it cold and damp in the morning? Is it soft? Is it going to run out later in the day? You know, that's still our target, but they run through the scenarios of what club it's going to take to get to that target so that, you know, we show up on that, on that hole on day two and it's playing, 180 degree different wind and all they thought was oh this is a three wood hole now what do i do you know you can i mean it's not complicated to figure that out but when you're trying to do it on the fly under the gun in a high pressure environment you're you're gonna you're not gonna process those types of decisions i think you would doing it the night before writing it down in your book thinking about those things ahead of time Mm. 
So you guys go through and you're doing your, your, you do your practice round, you're back in the hotel, you're going through those yardages and trying to identify what's our target number here based off of traps, hazards, and then not necessarily giving them what club to use, but also going through and probably looking at the Dark Sky app or Weather Channel app and looking through and saying, okay, this is what it's projected to be like tomorrow. And the wind's going to be here. This is the way the course is laid out. This is the club that we're anticipating hitting. But at the time, things can change. Just know that this is your yardage. And then and then know going in, this is probably your option. So you're almost making all the decisions that night with the caveat of, depending on what happens, temperature, wind, because things can change, we're going to be able to adapt and adjust. Is that right? Yeah, I think the more decisions, or at least laying the options out ahead of time, so mm. we're not figuring out what the options, options are yeah. in the heat of the moment, right? Because that gets you know sticky. You start bringing in too many different things that maybe don't matter, and you know how far am I hitting it today? And you know what did my teammate up there hit on this hole? And you just start you decision or options almost bring in doubt at that point. I think when you're under the under the gun versus doing it ahead of time. Hey, here's uh, here's plan A, B, and C on this hole based on what the possible conditions are tomorrow, and like those are my three decisions, and, and we pick one, right? Versus like, oh, well, maybe we should do this or do this, or you know, here's an option we didn't talk about last night. Like that just brings in doubt, I think, and it makes it really hard to be super committed to what you're doing uh, when when you're in the heat of battle out there. So you guys go through those yardages, and then it's now time to get it going in the tournament. How many days? What's that look like? What's your pre-round routine the morning of? What's a post-round routine the, after the round? Yeah, I think for most guys, they've got a pretty routine warm-up, so they know how long it takes. They know when they need to get there. So, you know, whoever's teeing off first, we say, hey, what time do you need to get there? They know, you know, what their what their deal is, um, you know, so we just kind of reverse engineer our morning to get there at the right time, give the first guy off time to do his thing and, and go through his full routine. Um, you know, the other guys that, that have a little bit more time, um, you know, maybe they'll go do some more visualization stuff or, you know, do some stretching or, you know, just get warmed up, um, kind of buy some time before they really start like their routine. So, you know, that we've done it enough where depending on who goes first, they know how to, you know, fill their time once they're on site. Um, Cause sometimes it's not their specific timeline that we're working on that day. But most of them, I think, do a really good job of, of filling time if they have to, if they're not the first one out. So, um, you know, reverse engineering our morning, I think, is the first thing we do. After the round, um, our guys are really good about getting stats in right away. Um, it's just kind of part of what they do. Go back through the round, you know, while it's fresh, replay some stuff. Um, I think the data is going to be more accurate. Plus, you can kind of run through, you know, what went well, what didn't, you know, and really absorb kind of what happened immediately after. And then, you know, that night we'll usually get together, talk through, um, you know, maybe hole by hole, what's something that you noticed out there that we didn't expect or, you know, what's an opportunity that we could take that we didn't see in the practice round, stuff like that. Um, you know, guys throw out ideas and then we kind of talk through, you know, with, with each guy, what went well for you today? What are you going to do better tomorrow and how are you going to do it? Um, I think that's the big thing post round is just letting everyone kind of reset whether they played well or they didn't like, what can we take from today? How can we be better tomorrow? And, and what can we do to, to make a difference immediately versus, you know, waiting till after the tournament's over to do a recap. Um, that's why I, I like the, 
the three-day tournaments because it kind of gives us time to go through our process every day versus the 36 hole and then 18 final round days. Um, so I think that's part of our process now is, you know, the morning reverse engineering, doing the stats, going through the round right after, and then kind of our breakdown at night, you know, the guys just kind of expect it as soon as we get done with dinner, we kind of meet and, and go over it. And then, you know, they do their visualization of pins and all that stuff for the second round. And, and it's just kind of a, it's, it's really routine at this point. You know, in our next episode, episode nine, we're going to talk about Phil Mickelson's major win as he just became the oldest golfer in the history of golf to win a major. And if you listen to his post round three interview, he talks all about visualizing the shot, trusting his, trusting his images that he has. And there's a great podcast. It's actually one of my favorite I've ever listened to with Phil Mickelson and Ed Milet. And he talks about visualization and visualizing your victory. I think visualization is such an underrated aspect of golf. I think people do it, but they don't necessarily do it intentionally and they don't train it and do it consistently. Would you talk about as a head coach, the role that visualization plays for you in preparation and building confidence with your golfers? Yeah, I think we talk about, you know, everything first kind of happens in your mind, then in reality. And so for us, I think, you know, a lot of guys can picture golf shots, you know, guys read putts and, you know, they kind of see the ball going in. But I think what we do is try to get really specific with what you're visualizing, right? So like, let's visualize what I'm going to feel like getting on the first tee tomorrow. What am I nervous about? What are my doubts? Like acknowledging those things now versus when we're on the tee tomorrow and they show up and they're like, oh crap, what do I do now? Not prepared. Right. So it's like visualize all this. And it's not, I think the mistake a lot of guys make is they visualize everything going perfectly all the time. Mm -hmm. Well, then when you go out there and you hit a straight one or you feel something you haven't felt, well then, then what, you know, like, oh man, this was all supposed to be perfect today. Right. So I think a, a lot of what we do sometimes is like visualizing something going wrong or, you know, getting a bad break and then bouncing back from that. Right. So like seeing yourself get out of situations that didn't go your way. And I think a lot of guys, that's why when something happens, they just fall into that trap and they're done because they, they've never seen themselves get out of that situation before. So, um, you know, I like to visualize all the, obviously the one you want is everything going well, but when something goes sideways, visualize yourself getting back on course right away and, and just continuing on and then see yourself, you know, finishing that day strong, um, you know, doing the things you can control. So I think that's something that's changed a lot of how guys see things out there is, is being okay with visualizing something going wrong and then bouncing back, you know, and, and it's something like our conference course, for example, had a lot of situations where, you know, there were water hazards, you know, you, if you hit a stray one, you're going to be taking a drop. And I'm like, Hey, like, I don't care if you hit one in the hazard, like it's expected to happen. Right. Because the odds are it's going to, obviously I don't want you visualizing that, but I want you to visualize yourself being okay with, I hit a committed shot. It didn't go where I wanted. I have to take a drop. Like that's okay. You're, you're only laying, you're, you're hitting one, dropping two, hitting three. Like you can make par, you can make bogey. Like we're not out of the weeds here where I think some guys visualize everything going well. They hit a ball in the water and it's just off the rails, right? So that's something I think we we really focused on early in the year too with, you know, avoiding double bogeys, don't compound mistakes and stuff like that. I think guys were more comfortable making physical errors out there because they could see themselves coming back from it. You got to be able to adapt and adjust. I think when we look at the mental game, 
too many times people think it's a magic pill and everything's going to go perfect. And like you said, when they visualize, they visualize everything going perfect. You have to also build into your visualization, the contingency planning, the adapting and the adjusting. And I always go back to Alex Honnold, who is the guy in the movie Free Solo or the documentary Free Solo. And if you've not yet checked out Alex Honnold in Free Solo and you're listening to this, I want you to add two things to your list. One, check out his TED Talk. And two, watch the documentary Free Solo. Alex Honnold climbed El Capitan with no ropes, no harness. Free Solo climbing is going up a rock face with nothing but yourself and a bag of chalk. 3,000 feet almost four hours I think it took him to climb. And if you make one slip, one, one mistake, you're dead. That's why we don't hear about free solo climbing a ton because most of the people that do it die. And Alex Honnold in his TED Talk talks about visualization and how many times he has visualized that climb. How many times he has seen himself and felt himself not only with the fear and the emotions of him up on that wall wanting to quit, him up on that wall not knowing if he can do it, him up on that wall having self-doubt and having to push through. Constant compensation and adjustment. He says, I've ran through almost every humanly possible scenario that could happen and even the ones that potentially won't happen so that I'm as prepared as I can be when I get up there. And I think that's the key with visualization is it's not a magic pill. It's a part of the preparation process. And as a golfer, you want to be a machine of routine and control everything that you can control with your warm up, your process, your pre-shot routines, your pre-round routines. At the same token, you have to be able to compensate and adjust for what the game gives you. So I think that's that's part of the process that we use to give us the best chance for success. And obviously, Trake, you guys had a massive success in your first year as a head coach at the University of Denver. You won conference. Congratulations on that. You go into the NCAA tournament. Anything different for you guys in your preparation going into the NCAA regional in Washington? Yeah, the same thing. You know, everyone's like, what are you, what are you doing for regionals to prepare, right? And it's the same thing. I think maybe the one caveat that was different was, you know, conference – we were on paper the best team, right? So, you know, I think there is maybe a difference in how you approach when you're the underdog or you can approach it differently if you're the underdog versus the favorite, right? So as the favorite, my my constant to them was like, okay, we're the best team on paper. So if we go out there and hit committed shots, they're the ones that have to be perfect to beat us, right? Like they have to do something above and beyond to catch us. If we just go out there and play our game, because we're the best team, we're going to hit the best shots, et cetera, right? So I think going into regional, we maybe flip the script a little bit to where like, hey, you know, we just proved that we can win. You guys have proved all year long we can compete with these schools. We've done it on any given day at any tournament, you know, where we won the day, we were the lowest score. Um, I'm like, we are now in the seat where those teams feel the pressure of we have to win. We're supposed to win, you know, all those things that you have to deal with when you're the favorite. And now we're the underdogs. We go out there, hit committed swings, stay locked in for 54 holes. No one here is expecting anything from us. We can just go out here, do our thing, put the blinders on and let the cards fall where they may. Right. And, you know, it's funny, we got out there and I think we were about 10 over through nine holes. I mean, we sunk to the bottom right away and we went to the back nine and guys just kept plugging along and plugging along. And, uh, we played the two par fives on the back nine at 10 under everyone made birdie. 
um, on the two par fives and we got it back to, I think we shot even or one over that day and we're right back in the mix. Um, and we actually moved up a spot, I think each of the last two rounds and it was the same thing. It was like, let's just go out there, hit committed shots, stick to our game plan. We weren't worried about, are we fifth or third or, you know, it's like, let's just go out there, shoot the best score we can. We can't control what the other teams are going to do. Um, you know, in similar place where it's tree lined, you know, you could hit one out of play and it's like, if you have to hit a provisional, just be committed to that thing and assume you're going to find that first ball. Like just because you hit one foul doesn't mean you're going to get up there and not be able to find it and be in trouble. Like just use that opportunity to make another committed aggressive swing. It's just a golf shot, hit it, be committed. It's good. It's good practice repetition. We'll get up there and we'll deal with it. Right. And I think we did a really good job of that. Um, throughout the tournament, because I didn't think we played exceptionally well, but we went out there and everyone bought in more than any other tournament all year of just one shot at a time, stay the course, you know, ride the ups and downs, accept that that's going to be that way and just grind it out until the last putt falls. And, you know, it came down to the last two or three holes, you know, within a couple shots the entire last day. And, and, and it didn't fall our way, but I think if we're in that opportunity again and we approach it the same way, I, I think we have a really good chance of pulling it off again. So, you know, it, it really boils down to doing a lot of the same things, but I think we could take a little bit of the pressure off with just the mindset of, hey, we're here with nothing to lose. We don't have to win. We don't have to, you know, it's not do or die. It's we want to do this. We have an awesome opportunity. Let's be excited for this go out there, lay it all out. And if it's enough, it's enough. And if it's not like, that's all I can ask from you guys. And, and they bought into that. And I think, like I said, that's a result of, we took that approach all year long. And so when we needed that approach in the, in the biggest tournament of the year, it was a lot easier to execute and they all bought into it. It's the turn and have to into want to. And I think when you look at have tos, it's pressure. When you look at want tos, it's pleasure. And you guys almost, became the first 13 seed in an NCAA regional to punch their ticket to go to the NCAA national championship tournament, which would have been incredible, and it will happen in the future. Trey Carpenter, final thoughts here, man. Year one as a, as a Division One college head coach, and I think your story is amazing. How many years ago were you running a yogurt shop, dude? Um, almost exactly four when I closed it right How now. How about that? So four years ago, you're not even coaching golf. You're running a yogurt shop. You get, a, you get a job working at a country club. You get hired at Marquette as an assistant. You get hired at Stanford, who had won the previous two national championships as an assistant. You get a head coaching job at, at Denver University. Is it Denver University or University of Denver or both? Uh, it's University of Denver, but the initials are DU. Gotcha. There's no – I haven't figured that out. No one's given me a real – Just going to call it Denver. Clear, yeah. Just call it Denver. Call it Trey Carpenter, ucarpu.com. And uh, – you know, it's so I think your trajectory of four years, if you're a coach listening to this, man, one thing I'd share with you is hope. Hold on, possibilities exist, and hear other people's experiences. And when you hear Trake's experience of going from yogurt shop to conference champion, it's a great story, and he's got a great process to help them to get there. So if you're looking as a coach or an athlete listening to this, a golfer listening to this to sharpen your process, your next step is go to briancane.com slash golf. Check out my free golf masterclass. And keep an eye on that inbox. If you go to briancane.com slash join, you can join my email list. 
and you'll get anything that Trake and I are doing from recording these podcasts live where you can join us on the No Filter Network to when we publish an episode, getting that sent straight to your inbox to when we do these immersion events. Like we're up here at, at uh, Chaparral Pines Golf Course in Payson, Arizona, and Trake and I are going to be putting together some golf total immersion events for coaches that want to come out here for three days and want to learn everything about mental game, culture, leadership, program building, swing management, course management, and self-management. Come out here, live with us for four days, three to four days. We'll get after it and help you close that gap from where you are to where you want to be. It's about speeding up your learning curve as a coach and helping you go from yogurt shop to conference champions in four years or less. Dominate the day. Trake, thanks for being with us here, man. Looking forward to continuing the Golf Mental Performance Mastery podcast. And congratulations again on winning a conference championship and being coach of the year in your first season as a head coach. Appreciate it. You can check out Trey Carpenter at, at DU Coach Carp on Twitter and Instagram. You can engage with me, Brian Kane, at Brian Kane Peak on Twitter and Instagram. Until our next episode, make sure you are building yourself to be the one shot warrior. Don't count the days, make the days count. We'll talk to you soon. Hey, thanks for checking out this podcast. This is Brian Kane, and I would love for you to leave us a review if you've enjoyed the show. I'd also love to engage with you directly on social media. So please reach out on Instagram or Twitter at Brian Kane Peak. And then make sure you head over to BrianKane.com and check out some of our articles on our blog, some of our videos. And if you're a coach looking to master mental performance and up your game so you can help your clients get the results they've been looking for. Check out my Mental Performance Mastery Coaches Certification, where we teach you about the mindset, routines, and habits that your clients need to get the results they've been looking for. If you're an athlete or a performer listening to this podcast, head over to briankane.com and click on Athletes. Check out my 30 Days to Mental Performance Mastery for Athletes program, where I walk you through and coach you virtually to help you master the mental game and give yourself the best chance for success. Thanks for being with us here on the podcast. Let's dominate the day.